Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray together one more time. So Lord, we do want to hear from you now. And we're trusting that you're going to come to us in your word and by the power of your spirit and show us things that will help us worship you, reorient our hearts towards you, and even practically live a life where we fight better against temptation in this coming year. And so I pray that you would do that, Lord. That's a miracle of your grace, but it's the kind of miracle you love to do because you love your glory and you care about the good of your people. So come now and meet us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, these next two weeks, like Bruce said, this week we're going to look at kind of the life of Jesus and his interaction with the Word, and then next week we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. thought it'd be helpful. We've just come off a season where we're looking at kind of uh, all that happened in the coming of Jesus as baby Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to go to Revelation where Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and a tattoo on his thigh. So I thought maybe we'd look at earthy Jesus for a couple weeks in between and help us reorient our hearts towards how did, how did Jesus fight against sin with the word of God? And how would Jesus teach us to pray? These are really familiar texts and they're really familiar. Sometimes we get sick of familiar, but they're really familiar because they're really helpful. They're really good. They're really profound and simple at the same time. And so it's a way for us moving towards 2024 to look at Jesus and say, what did he do and how did he do it? And and who is he and what does that call us to? And I always love uh, orienting ourselves around the word because it would be hard to overestimate how important the word of God is for us as individuals and as a church together. And I hope you'll see that. I mean, I just... I really believe that if I'm done here after 40 years of being a pastor or whatever, and the only thing that happened in my time here is that every person that hears this sermon reads their Bible every day and has fellowship with Jesus, I'd be happy. I could, I could die content because the, the power and the, the hope is not up here, right? It's in the, the word of God and it's that important to us. I always talk about it like the word of God is us breathing in all of the life of God, and then prayers like us breathing out. It's just the, the rhythm of life for the believer, taking in all God has for us, and as we take it in, then we breathe out back to God. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to breathe in this week, and the next week we're going to talk about prayer and breathing out. And I just want to say, this is not meant to be a guilt trip into reading the Bible. I don't want you to get on some uh, Bible reading plan. If you haven't been reading, and you're like, from now on I'm going to read 47 chapters a day. I'm going to get through the Bible 14 times this year. Right? That's like the person who hasn't worked out and then goes to the gym for four hours. And what happens? You get injured and you don't work out again for another year. And so what I, what I want is just to invite you into Jesus is in the Bible. Fellowship with Jesus is available in his word. When you go to this word, you find him and you meet him and he works in your heart. And I just want to invite you into more fellowship with Jesus this year, even if it's just a baby step of saying, I'm gonna get up and read for five or 10 minutes starting tomorrow. It's meant not as a moment of condemnation, but an invitation to follow in his footsteps. The word became flesh and fight temptation like he did. So look at verses one and two, and it sets the context for where we're going. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? Understatement, right? That's a long time. And so we know a few things here at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. We know Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man, come to live the life we couldn't live and therefore die is the perfect sacrifice for sins. In other words, when we come to this passage, we're realizing that his fighting temptation is for our salvation. There's a lot at stake here. If Jesus fails here, salvation isn't possible. Jesus is led up by the Spirit. So we assume that the Spirit's gonna be helping him in this moment of temptation in his humanness. And Jesus, we know, as a human, after a long fast, is hungry. He's at a weak point in his humanity. Satan is coming at a time when he's not feeling strong and bolstered, but he's weak in his humanity. And why is Jesus here and doing this? Well, look at the last verse of chapter 3, which comes right before this. Sometimes our chapter divisions are helpful, sometimes they're not. But here's what the last verse of chapter 3 says. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, we're meant to see Jesus identified as the son, and the Jewish people that are are reading this would have gone, oh, that sounds like something. That sounds like what Israel was supposed to be, this, this son. And I think that that's what we're supposed to see here too. Jesus is the son of God. And if you've been in church for a while and you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you might notice a theme in Matthew, a theme of Jesus as a kind of new beginning of humanity. Jesus as this perfect son that Israel could never be. We've already seen it before Matthew 4. So in Matthew 2, Jesus is rescued from a wicked king and hidden in Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Right, like Moses was as the future leader of Israel in the Exodus. Or in Matthew 3, as Jesus comes out of Egypt, he passes through the waters to be identified as God's son, like Israel passed through the waters in the Exodus. And now, Jesus is tempted 40 days and 40 nights, like Israel wandered for 40 years. Jesus here in this text is following the path laid out for Israel purposely to fulfill the obedience that they never could so that he could be the perfect son and therefore the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so I don't want us to miss that. As we look at this as an example, we shouldn't miss just the the rejoicing that should happen in this passage. For those of us who have trusted him as that perfect substitute, he's made us daughters and sons of God, which means the first step in this passage is to rejoice. He did it. (laughs) He resisted temptation. He lived the perfect life. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose again. And in him, there's eternal life for all who believe. And he brings us into his family to be with him forever. He did it. He resisted temptation. He did what we could never do. But the second step then is to look at this and go, We want to be more as much as we can by the power of the Spirit like Jesus was in his temptation than like Israel was in their temptation. We want to walk like Jesus walked as much as possible and not like Israel walked. So here's the one who saved us, showing us the deeper fellowship and trust with the Father is possible in our trials and temptations. And the amazing thing is that Jesus as the God-man 
was the living word. (laughs) The word became flesh and dwelt among us and his most important weapon in the fight of faith was what? The written word of God. And so that just makes me do the argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus, the God-man, the living word, the word incarnate, needed the word written, the written word of God to fight sin, how much more do I need it? How much more do I need to read it and memorize it and saturate myself with it? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Jesus and his temptation. We're gonna examine how Satan tempted him and look for those temptations in our own life. And then we're gonna see how the perfect son of God, our savior whom we love, fought against that temptation with the word of God and settled his soul in God as he waited. I think that's what happens. I think that's what the, the fight against sin comes down to. Will our souls be settled in God or restless for other things? Will our souls be happy in Jesus or needing to run after other things for our happiness? So what I wanna argue is that Jesus' soul in the midst of these trials was settled in God. And here's what I mean by settled. Jesus saw the temptation. He saw all that it could offer him in that moment and beyond. And Jesus remembered the word of God in the way of truth and beauty and goodness it promised. And Jesus happily walked away from temptation. That's what I wanna argue. Jesus saw the temptation. Like some people read this passage and go, it's Jesus, man, he wasn't tempted. This is a real temptation, but he saw it in all that it could offer him. He saw an easier path, an easier way, right? An instant gratification, he saw it. And then he remembered his fellowship with God. He remembered the, the path God had laid before him. And as he examined those things, he said, I want that. And he happily walked away from temptation. And that's my hope for myself, for you, for us together that as we read God's word, as we sing God's word, as we memorize God's word, as we talk about it, that it would settle us to happily walk away from lesser deceitful pleasures and walk towards deeper and true pleasures of fellowship in Jesus because I'm just convinced of what you do is you just go, I'm not gonna do that because I'm not supposed to do that and I feel kind of guilty when I do that and other people find out if I do that, they're gonna not like me as much or some other motivation besides happiness in Jesus, Jesus is better, it just won't stick. (laughs) You'll just be back there a week later doing the same thing in a little bit different way and so I want happy walking away from sin because Jesus is better, even if it's hard. All right, point number one, the idolatry of comfort. Now I think all these categories have overlap, but these temptations come from Satan at a little bit different angle. So let's look at verses three and four together. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now this is interesting, because at first you could look and go, what's so wrong about this? What's so wrong about this? Doesn't Jesus make bread later? He makes bread later for like a bunch of people, right? What is so wrong here? Jesus is hungry, and Satan tells him to make some bread since he's God. Kids, have you ever been hungry? Right, what do you do? 
right? You, you ask for food, right? So why does Jesus respond the way he does? Like this is such a big deal when he's just hungry and maybe some bread would fill him up a little bit. Well, here's why. I think it gets back to what we were saying at the beginning. I think Jesus sees himself fulfilling the role of the perfect son, the perfect Israel, and walking out this trial in the way that God has laid before him. In fact, Deuteronomy 8, where Jesus is quoting from, is God addressing Israel at the end of 40 years of wandering. All right, so God's addressing Israel at the end of their wandering, and he's saying, hey, remember, I've always provided for you. Live by my words. Don't live for all these other things. And so Jesus knows his father has called him to this wilderness, right? This is God's plan, right? This isn't just a plan. This is God's plan. Jesus knows he doesn't just get to end the trial himself in some way that would distort God's plan or doubt God's goodness in the plan. So instead of partaking, he submits himself again to the plan and enjoys fellowship with God. In other words, obedience to and fellowship with God is better to him than any earthly comfort. Trusting God's care for him in his word is better than trying to care for himself in ways that don't accord with God's word. And I think what's going on here is Satan is appealing to both his position and his pain, right? You're powerful, Jesus, right? If you're the son of God, right? My Satan voice isn't as good as Sam's, but you're powerful and you're hungry. You're powerful and you're hungry. Just go do something about it, right? It's within your reach, Suffering isn't for people like you, Jesus, not important people like you. You're the son of God. Suffering and trials aren't for important people. Suffering and trials aren't for people that are loved by God. A good loving God wouldn't make you go through all this stuff. But Jesus knows Deuteronomy 8. Right? He's got God's word stored up. He has the Holy Spirit there to help him. He knows God's call on his life. He knows that God will provide for him in due time like he provided manna in the wilderness for Israel and he knows that fellowship with God is better. And so he runs from the idolatry of comfort and runs towards fellowship with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying any form of comfort is bad, right? Like, sleep without your comforters tonight in Minnesota, right? Never eat any food, right? I'm not saying any of that. It can be a gift from God, and rest and enjoyment is a gift from God as well. But I'm talking about, and you know what I'm talking about, the comfort that comes at the expense of fellowship with Jesus, Right? You know those places you run to and you're going, I know I'm walking away from Jesus right now to partake in this thing. I know I'm numbing my pain and where I should be going to Jesus, I'm, I'm bringing this thing into my life that numbs my pain. So maybe there's some area of your life right now where you're wanting to run after comfort instead of running to Jesus. Right? Maybe it's running after that shiny thing like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Who were, who were doubting God's goodness. Is God really good? Why wouldn't he give us that? looks really good, it'd be really good right now, right? Or perhaps there's some area of your life where you're beginning to doubt God's goodness. Maybe you wish you had more, or you thought you'd be further along by now, or you're weary of whatever suffering is in your life, or you're just tired and worn out from the grind of life. And you hear that whisper in your ear, is God really enough? Are his ways really best? Aren't there easier ways to do this? Isn't his way the hardest way? Why would you do it that way? It's a crazy way to do it. Or maybe just, it's okay to just get a little temporary comfort. 
Or you get back to Jesus in like five minutes. Just indulge right now, right? Just vent your anger right now. Right? Sometimes venting anger is comfort, right? Just participate in gossip right now. Just indulge, right? Be a glutton right now. Just click on that link right now, right? We'll get back to Jesus in five or 10 minutes. Kids, maybe your parents sometimes tell you, hey, you shouldn't have that fourth dessert at that Christmas party. Or hey, uh, you shouldn't do that thing that you wanna do. And if you have good parents, they're trying to keep you healthy and safe and they're trying to help you be wise. But it's easy to be frustrated with them in the moment, right? You want it, you want that comfort, you want that shiny thing. And I'll just give you a, a little insight, kids. It's easy for all of us to be frustrated like that with God. It's easy for us to throw our own temper tantrums with God. God tells us his plans in his word and he's a perfect father who only wants our good. I, just, I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if I believe that all the time. God is a perfect father who only wants our good. It's all he ever wants, 24-7, always pursuing us with goodness and mercy, which means all of the commands of Christ are meant to lead to the, the life of Christ. And yet sometimes when life is hard or something doesn't go our way or there's some command in the Bible that keeps us from some desire we have, it's easy to be frustrated with him or doubt him or perhaps just want to numb that pain or that hurt by clicking on that link for a moment or just indulge in that area that makes you feel better for a while or indulge in that gossip because you've been hurt and it feels kind of sickly cathartic or maybe you just want to ignore life or just get lost in entertainment and pretend the pain isn't there. Just forget about the struggle and it would just feel so good to give in for a minute or two. And yet, like Jesus, something in you knows fellowship with God is better. Jesus is better. You know walking in his truth and goodness and beauty is better. You know his plans are better and wiser than yours. So the word of God helps us reorient our reality to God is better, Jesus is better. His words are where our satisfaction comes. His life is our life. Point number two, the idolatry of control. Let's look at verses five to seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Satan here is going, okay, we want to use the Bible, huh, Jesus? I, I know the Bible, right? I, I can play the Bible game. And you want to talk about trusting him and how his words are best. So I'll even use his words, right? Let's, let's go there together. And so Satan takes a different angle this time. He takes him to the, the highest point of the most holy city. And he says, if you're really who you say you are, show it off. Right, do it. I mean, aren't these psalms written about you? Won't God spare you? And if you do it from here, everyone will see it, they'll know it, you'll be confirmed in who you are and have the praise of all the people. In fact, maybe you can avoid that cross and get right to the glory part of it. And some commentators even believe this was the same place where Isaac was spared as Abraham's only son, which would be Satan saying, okay, if you're the son, so fill in the Isaac thing, didn't God spare Isaac? Won't he spare you? 
Isn't that what he wants to do? Satan's quoting from Psalm 91, a psalm that's all about trusting God's protection, trusting God's promises, trusting God's plans, yet he's basically telling Jesus, take things into your own hands. Of course, Satan doesn't quote the verse right after this one, which I find ironic, which is about the Messiah trampling over the serpent. <laughs> right? He doesn't, doesn't go there. He stops one verse short. But Jesus knows he will trample over the serpent, not by shortcutting God's plans or purposes, not by taking the easy way out, not by controlling things himself, but by walking out God's plan and purposes by the way of the cross. If we had any doubt that Jesus sees himself as the perfect son accomplishing what Israel could not, we see him here again, quote Deuteronomy 6, right, where God had just told Israel they need to love him with all their heart and soul and strength, that they shouldn't test him like Israel tested him at Massa when they grumbled because they said God wouldn't provide water for them in the wilderness. In other words, Israel wanted an easier way and <laughs> trust God's long path for them. They wanted a way out. And remember, Israel had just seen miraculous signs and wonders that had redeemed them from slavery, and yet right away, they're doubting God's way and God's care. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know Psalm 91, I'm going to trample over you, but I'm not going to try to do it by being like Israel did and complain about your plan and shortcut my way out of, your, of God's plan. He's saying, I won't do that. I won't grumble against God's plan. I won't try to shortcut his plan. I won't try to control the narrative or control my life in a way that is driven by fear. I'm gonna submit because I know Psalm 91 is really saying that the safest place in the world is in God's presence and power and I'm not gonna leave that. And I think, I think this is a hard one. A hard one for me. Like if I was gonna say like, the, the, the place I just see myself here, like I like to control things. I like me some control. I like to know what's gonna happen. I don't love curveballs, right? We, we know we've been redeemed from slavery to sin. We know God cares for us and he's gonna bring us safely home. But does anyone else in here struggle with control? Like, hey God, you're doing good, but I'm just gonna step in going to step in for a second here and kind of help you out along the way. I think that some of the things you're doing are a little bit messy. Let's clean that up a little bit. Right? Anyone else struggle with just like the idolatry of wanting things a certain way at a certain time? Like find yourself just wanting to die on every hill. Like Just like this is the most important thing and so is this and everything's the most important thing and I got to control all the things. It stinks, right? Because you're not God. You can't, and you're, you're finite. Right? Anyone else struggle with having some fear and anxiety when you can't quite control the outcome of certain things? Right? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's singleness. Maybe it's the outcome of some life situation. And when it happens... I can default to grabbing onto things really tightly. Right? Just grabbing onto them tightly and looking for a way out. And it can be big things, right? But sometimes the even more insidious form of it is just the everyday life that you need the perfect environment and things done just so and things just this way. Here are a couple diagnosis questions for our hearts. Do the people around you feel like you're trying to control everything even if you think you're just doing it because it's best. 
Do they feel like you're trying to control everything? Do they feel micromanaged? Do they feel like you're always disappointed in the outcome that doesn't go your way? Do you feel kind of low-grade anxiety about the future in a hundred different ways? It's kind of always gnawing and getting at your heart and your soul and distracting you. In those moments, it is so easy. It's the most natural thing in the world to want to trust ourselves, our wisdom, our planning, our hard work, our whatever, and think we can manipulate the world to fit our desires. And I'm not saying planning and hard work is bad. I'm saying the planning, white-knuckling attempt to deal with our anxiety and fear by controlling the situation rather than humbly submitting to God is a really dangerous place to live. It's a place where we're putting ourselves in place of God. We're saying, I'm a better God than God. Think of Adam and Eve in their fig leaf sewing kits, right? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Better fix it, better hide, better take an easy way out rather than deal with reality and with God honestly. And what is that, what happens there, right? They create distance with God, not nearness with God. Put themselves in the place of God, thinking they know better than God. And if we're honest, we do this all the time. But Jesus, the God-man, won't bite. Right? He has the word of God. He has Deuteronomy 6. He knows sometimes God's plans are hard, and he knows he has to walk the road of suffering and trust his Father because obedience to him and fellowship with him is better. And we too know this. We know this. right? This is, I'm not saying anything that you haven't thought about or known before. We have the word of God. Don't we know things like the sufferings of this present life are not worth compared to the glory that's coming? We know that. So we read God's word, we memorize God's word, we enjoy God's word, and we try to help it lead us to fellowship with Jesus so that in that moment of temptation to control, you can say, I'm gonna give up my best shot, but Jesus, you have control. You're Lord, you rule, I can rest. Point number three, the idolatry of consequence or importance, verses eight to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll simply fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Jesus is done here, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So this is an interesting one too because Jesus could have responded, listen man, all the world is mine. (laughs) It's all gonna be mine eventually, right? He could have talked about his identity and who he was as the son of God. But instead, he didn't, and he responded to the heart of the issue, the temptation to pride and where our affections go in worship. Where does he quote from? Surprise, surprise, Deuteronomy 6, where Israel, the imperfect son, is called to only worship the true God after being tempted towards these other false gods. And this last test is really the crux of the issue. Who will we serve? Ourselves and our wisdom and our pride and our importance? Or will we worship Jesus? Will we serve what others think of us and what influence and importance we have? Or will we serve Jesus, knowing that he has all the influence that we find our worth in him? Will we find our joy and identity in the way the world sees us and feels about us or our joy and identity in belonging to God? At the heart of every temptation is a choice of worship. 
At the heart of every temptation is, who will I serve in this moment? Whether it's other people, whether it's the world, whether it's the devil, or whether it's just yourself. Who will I serve or will I worship Jesus? And it's hard. The reason we do a sermon on the word every year is because we are bombarded 24-7 with just these messages that say, worship yourself. Worship yourself, it's about you. Live for your immediate comfort, right? Right, one click settings to buy, because man, three clicks is just too much work, right? Get a headache, right? Pop ibuprofen quick. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that we live in a world that says immediate comfort, immediate gratification. You're a king, right? Act like a king. Be the king, All right? Make your life as easy and painless as possible. Avoid pain and waiting. Curate a persona that helps others think of you in a certain way. Maneuver for position and status. Maneuver for power and prestige. And yet we just don't see anything like that in the New Testament. Anywhere. Right? We're told in the New Testament so clearly that the life of following Jesus will be one where we take up our crosses to follow him. We're supposed to count the cost. Right? That, that, that's the, the picture that Jesus lays out. Count the cost before you follow me, because following me is going to be hard, <laughs> right? And the New Testament says our life is going to be one of humbling ourselves under his goodness and beauty and truth, seeking to make a name for him and not ourselves. So Jesus had Deuteronomy 6, and he knew it was better to submit to God's plan and worship him than sell his soul to the devil for a shortcut to prestige and prominence and power. He knew fellowship with God was better than any of that. Jesus fought the fight of faith as the perfect son in the midst of trial and temptation with the road of suffering in front of him. Like he knew it was coming. <laughs> he knew it was coming and it would have been so easy to get given. And he fought it with the word of God. The word settled his soul and helped him happily walk away from temptation and towards his father. And because he did, he could be the perfect substitute sacrifice for our sins, paid for them, cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, washed us white as snow, and now he invites us to walk away from the idol of comfort, the idol of control, and the idol of consequence and follow him on the road of waiting and trial and suffering, of worship and trust, and to know from God's word that Jesus is better. So I just want to give you an acronym uh, that I developed over the summer on my sabbatical for how I try to read the Bible to help me in the moment of temptation, right? There have been acronyms by other famous pastors before. Mine probably won't be as good. I'm going to give it to you and just say, hey, if this is, helps you, it helps me in the moment of temptation to just go, uh, this is what I'm called to do right now. So it's rest, right? You hear me say that word all the time, it's rest, Easy to remember, rest, but I think that's what I'm after. I'm after my soul to be settled, my soul to be at rest in Jesus, that the things of the world would go strangely dim and I'd follow him. So rest. What's the R? The R is read. Read. So I'm just, I'm not convinced that every morning when you get up, you're going to have fireworks and warm fuzzies with Jesus, but I am convinced that if you don't read your Bible, you will be further away from God than you were. You, you gotta read the Bible, you just gotta read it, or right, listen to it on your way to, way to and from work, whatever, you gotta get the word of God in you, you've got to read, so that's the R. E is enjoy, 
I think you have to find something about the Bible you enjoy because your pleasures and your temptations are just gonna run at you from the world the rest of the day. They just are, they're gonna be there. The, whatever your inclinations and your dispositions are, they're just gonna fly at you the rest of the day. And so you gotta leave the word of God going, I enjoyed something about Jesus. Jesus is good, he's true, he's beautiful, God is good, God's ways are good. You need something to help you enjoy him because if you're just gonna fight fire with something other than fire that makes your soul happy, it's not gonna work. This is not gonna work. You're just gonna run towards that thing because the Bible is a command and a to-do list, but this is where your heart is. So you gotta, you gotta read, you gotta enjoy. This third one, this summer just felt really big to me. Um, Submit, submit, I've got to read, I've got to enjoy it, like enjoy who Jesus is, and I've got to say, oh, I've got to change that. The, the, the Bible tells me not to be harsh with my kids. I, gotta, I think that means I have to not be harsh. I've got to work on that. I've got to try to walk that out. I actually have to submit and obey, and that's not different from enjoying, right? If I enjoy who God is and who Christ is and that his commands are meant to lead me to life, then submission is a happy thing. <laughs> I wanna submit, I don't wanna do it my own way anymore. You're God and I'm not, so read, enjoy, submit. And this last one I think might be the hardest one. Talk to someone else about it. <laughs> talk to someone else about it, get someone else involved. Talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, talk to your small group, talk to someone else about it and say, hey, here's what I'm learning, here's what I'm repenting of, here's what I'm seeing about God, here's what God's helping me to walk away from. Would you pray for me? Get other people involved because I'm also convinced that Satan would love us on an island. <laughs> all to ourselves with stuff hidden in the dark so it can just grow and grow and grow until it feels like a mountain that's too big to climb. So that, that'd be my goal for us this year, that we would rest together in God's word by reading it, enjoying it, submitting to it, and talking to each other about it. Really, really simple, but I think if we would give ourselves to it, then we could say, man, I still struggle, <laughs> the idol of comfort, but I, I see it being diminished in my life. Man, I still struggle with the idol of control, but I, I see it being diminished in my life. Man, I still struggle with wanting to be important, but I, I see it diminishing my life, and man, am I walking more with Jesus? Man, am I fellowshipping more with him? Man, is he good? So let me commend you one more time before I close in prayer here. Read it, enjoy it, submit to it, and talk to other people about it that we might grow closer to Jesus and the world might see his truth and his goodness and his beauty shining forth from South Cities in the way we love him, love each other, and care about the outcome of the faith of the South Cities. Let me pray. So Lord, I know my own heart has idols of, has all these idols, comfort and control and consequence in different ways. They show up in sinister ways, they show up in surprising ways, show up in really normal ways. And, and Lord, I just want more of you. I want more of, your, more of your presence and more of your power in my life. Lord, I wanna repent more quickly of sin. I wanna follow you more closely. I wanna obey your commands. Lord, I, I just want more of you. More of you now until the day I'm face to face with you forever, Lord. And that's what I want for everyone in this room and everyone that's listening online right now is I just want more of you for all of us. You change us from the inside out that as we 
behold your glory that we'd be changed from one degree of glory to the next into the same image by the power of the Spirit. So Lord, would you come and do that now, Lord? We're gonna come and we're gonna eat and drink with you now in a fellowship with you. What a privilege it is that you give us this meal with you every week as a family. Lord, I pray that you'd help us lay down the idol of comfort as we come to the table. You'd help us lay down the idol of control as we come to the table. You'd help us lay down the idol of consequence as we come to the table, Lord, and lay them down happily because we know you're better, because we know you're forced, because we know you've, you've defeated temptation and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose again to conquer death, given us your spirit now to enjoy you and walk with you more and more every day and all the more, Lord, together do that as we see the day approaching. So come now and work in your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you don't want to come up, you're not able to come up, you can raise your hand and we have servers that will bring the elements to you. We always give three words uh, to three different groups of people here before we take communion. The first one is just that if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus yet for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, we would pray that this would be the moment you do that <laughs> right now, that you'd say, Jesus, forgive my sins, um, give me new life in you, be my Lord, be my Savior, help me walk with you. But if you're not there yet, we just love it if you talk with anybody around you, but refrain from taking this meal, because this is a meal for those who trust in Jesus and want a fellowship with him. If you're here and there's some sin in your life, some brokenness in your life that you're not yet willing to lay at the foot of the cross, uh, but you, you know you want a fellowship with this thing more than you want a fellowship with Jesus, again, be praying that you would lay that down in this moment in a real, true way, and that you would seek help to walk forward with Jesus. But if you know in your heart you're not yet willing to lay it down, we'd ask you to not take this meal because the Bible says we can't fellowship with these things and fellowship with Jesus and trick him and he'll bring judgment if we try to trick him in that way. And so we wanna warn you and yet invite you in to repentance. And then lastly, this is a family moment to show our unity in Christ. There's a lot of differences we're gonna have around here about a lot of different things. But man, what good news it is to be united in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf to have his blood having covered our sins, have his righteousness covering us so that we can all say that we're children of God and a family in Christ. So if there's any bitterness or resentment or, or deep-seated anger that you have towards someone else in this body, would ask that before you come and take this, you, you try to make that right. You try to go to them and receive forgiveness or ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness where you've been holding out on them. I want you to bow your heads and I'll say the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, it's just for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So talk to Jesus, lay down idols of comfort, control, and consequence, and come and eat and drink with him when you're ready.